Children's Homer, Part 1. Chapter 16 Now Thetis, the mother of Achilles, went to Olympus, where the gods have their dwellings, and to the house of Hephaestus, the smith of the gods. That house shone above all the houses on Olympus, because Hephaestus himself had made it of shining bronze. And inside the house there were wonders, handmaidens that were not living, but that were made out of gold, and made with such wondrous skill that they waited upon Hephaestus, and served and helped him as though they were living maids. Hephaestus was lame and crooked of foot, and went limping. He and Thetis were friends from of old time. For when his mother would have forsaken him because of his crooked foot, Thetis and her sister reared him within one of the ocean's caves, and it was while he was with them that he began to work in metals. So the lame god was pleased to see Thetis in his dwelling, and he welcomed her and clasped her hand and asked of her what she would have him do for her. Then Thetis, weeping, told him of her son Achilles, how he had lost his dear friend, and how he was moved to go into the battle to fight with Hector, and how he was without armor to protect his life, seeing that the armor that the gods had once given his father was now in the hands of his foe. And Thetis besought Hephaestus to make new armor for her son that he might go into the battle. She no sooner finished speaking than Hephaestus went to his workbench and set his bellows. Twenty were there to work. And the twenty bellows blew into the crucibles and made bright and hot fires. Then Hephaestus threw into the fires bronze and tin and silver and gold. He set on the anvil stand a great anvil and took in one hand his hammer and in the other hand his tongs. For the armor of Achilles, he made first a shield and then a corslet that gleamed like fire. And he made a strong helmet to go on the head and shining greaves to wear on the ankles. The shield was made with five folds, one fold of metal upon the other, so that it was so strong and thick that no spear or arrow could pierce it. And upon this shield he hammered out images that were a wonder to men. The first were images of the sun and the moon and of the stars that the shepherds and the seamen watch the Pleiades and Hyads and Orion and the bear that is also called the Wain. And below he hammered out the images of two cities. In one there were people going to feasts and playing music and dancing and giving judgments in the marketplace. The other was a city besieged. There were warriors on the walls and there was an army marching out of the gate to give battle to those that besieged them. And below the images of the cities he made a picture of a plowed field, with plowmen driving their yokes of oxen along the furrows, and with men bringing them cups of wine. And he made a picture of another field, where men were reaping, and boys were gathering the corn, where there was a servant beneath an oak tree, making ready a feast, and women making ready barley for a supper for the men who were reaping and a king standing apart and watching all, holding a staff in his hands and rejoicing at all he saw. And another image he made of a vineyard with clusters of grapes that showed black and with the vines hanging from silver poles. 
And he showed maidens and youths in the vineyard gathering the grapes into baskets, and one amongst them a boy who played on the viol. Beside the image of the vineyard he made images of cattle with herdsmen and with nine dogs guarding them. But he showed two lions that had come up and had seized the bull of the herd. And the dogs and men strove to drive them away but were affrighted. And beside the image of the oxen he made the image of a pasture land with sheep in it and sheepfolds and roofed huts. He made yet another picture a dancing place with youths and maidens dancing, their hands upon each other's hands. Beautiful dresses and wreaths of flowers the maidens had on, and the youths had daggers of gold hanging from their silver belts. A great company stood around those who were dancing, and amongst them there was a minstrel who played on the lyre. Then all around the rim of the shield Hephaestus, the lame god, set an image of ocean whose stream goes round the world. Not long was he in making the shield and the other wonderful pieces of armor. As soon as the armor was ready, Thetis put her hands upon it, and flying down from Olympus like a hawk, brought it to the feet of Achilles, her son. And Achilles, when he saw the splendid armor that Hephaestus, the lame god, had made for him, rose up from where he lay, and took the wonderfully wrought piece in his hands. And he began to put the armor upon him, and none of the Myrmidons who were around could bear to look upon it because it shone with such brightness, and because it had all the marks of being the work of a god. Chapter 17 then Achilles put his shining armor upon him, and it fitted him as though it were wings. He put the wonderful shield before him, and he took in his hands the great spear that Chiron the centaur had given to Peleus his father, that spear that no one else but Achilles could wield. He bade his charioteer harness the immortal horses Xanthos and Balios. Then as he mounted his chariot, Achilles spoke to the horses Xanthos and Balios. He said, This time, bring the hero that goes with you back safely to the ships, and do not leave him dead on the plain, as ye left the hero Patroclus. Then Xanthos, the immortal steed, spoke, answering for himself and his comrade. Achilles, he said, with his head bowed and his mane touching the ground. Achilles for this time we will bring thee safely back from the battle. But a day will come when we shall not bring thee back, when thou too shalt lie with the dead before the walls of Troy. Then was Achilles troubled, and he said, Xanthos, my steed, why dost thou remind me by thy prophecies of what I know already, that my death too is appointed, and that I am to perish here, far from my father and my mother and my own land, then he drove his immortal horses into the battle. The Trojans were affrighted when they saw Achilles himself in the fight, blazing in the armor that Hephaestus had made for him. They went backward before his onset, and Achilles shouted to the captains of the Greeks, No longer stand apart from the men of Troy, but go with me into the battle and let each man throw his whole soul into the fight. 
and on the Trojan side Hector cried to his captains and said, Do not let Achilles drive you before him. Even though his hands are as irresistible as fire and his fierceness as terrible as flashing steel, I shall go against him and face him with my spear. But Achilles went on, and captain after captain of the Trojans went down before him. Now amongst the warriors whom he caught sight of in the fight was Polydorus, the brother of Hector, and the youngest of all King Priam's sons. Priam forbade him ever to go into the battle, because he loved him as he would love a little child. But Polydorus had gone in this day, trusting to his fleetness of foot to escape with his life. Achilles saw him and pursued him and slew him with the spear. Hector saw the death of his brother. Then he could no longer endure to stand aside to order the battle. He came straight up to where Achilles was brandishing his great spear, and when Achilles saw Hector before him, he cried out, Here is the man who most deeply wounded my soul, who slew my dear friend Patroclus. Now shall we two fight each other, and Patroclus shall be avenged by me. And he shouted to Hector, Now, Hector, the day of thy triumph and the day of thy life is at its end. But Hector answered him without fear, Not with words, Achilles, can you affright me. Yet I know that thou art a man of might and a stronger man than I, but the fight between us depends on the will of the gods. I shall do my best against thee and my spear before this has been found to have a dangerous edge. He spoke and lifted up his spear and flung it at Achilles. Then the breath of a god turned Hector's spear aside, for it was not appointed that either he or Achilles should be then slain. Achilles darted at Hector to slay him with his spear, but a god hid Hector from Achilles in a thick mist. Then, in a rage, Achilles drove his chariot into the ranks of the war, and many great captains he slew. He came to Scamandrus, the river that flows across the plain before the city of Troy. And so many men did he slay in it, that the river rose in anger against him for choking its waters with the bodies of men. Then on toward the city he went like a fire, raging through a glen that had been parched with heat. Now on a tower of the walls of Troy, Priam, the old king, stood. And he saw the Trojans coming in a rout towards the city, and he saw Achilles in his armor blazing like a star, like that star that is seen at harvest time and is called Orion's dog, that star that is the brightest of all stars, but yet is a sign of evil. And the old man, Priam, sorrowed greatly as he stood upon the tower and watched Achilles because he knew in his heart whom this man would slay, Hector, his son the protector of his city. Chapter 18 So much of the story of Achilles did Telemachus, the son of Odysseus, hear from the lips of King Menelaus as he sat with his comrade Pisistratus in the king's feasting hall. And more would Menelaus have told them, 
if Helen, his wife, had not been seen to weep. Why weepst thou, Helen? said Menelaus. Ah, surely I know. It is because the words that I tell of the death of Hector are sorrowful to thee. And Helen, the lovely lady, said, Never did Prince Hector speak a hard or harsh word to me in all the years I was in his father's house. And if anyone upbraided me, he would come and speak gentle words to me. Greatly did I lament for the death of noble Hector. After his wife and his mother, I wept the most for him. And when one speaks of his slaying, I cannot help but weep. Said Menelaus, Relieve your heart of its sorrow, Helen, by praising Hector to this youth and by telling your memories of him. Tomorrow I shall do so, said the Lady Helen. She went with her maids from the hall, and the servants took Telemachus and Pisistratus to their sleeping places. The next day they sat in the banqueting hall. King Menelaus and Telemachus and Pisistratus and the Lady Helen came amongst them. Her handmaidens brought into the hall her silver work basket that had wheels beneath it with rims of gold, and her golden distaff that with the basket had been presents from the wife of the king of Egypt. And Helen sat in her chair and took the distaff in her hands and worked in the violet-colored wool that was in her basket. And as she worked, she told Telemachus of Troy and of its guardian, Hector. Said Helen, The old men were at the gate of the city, talking over many things, and King Priam was among them. It was in the days when Achilles first quarreled with King Agamemnon. Come hither, my daughter, said King Priam to me, and sit by me, and tell me who the warriors are who now come out upon the plain. You've seen them all before, and I would have you tell me who such and such a one is. Who is yon hero who seems so mighty? I have seen men who were more tall than he by head, but I have never seen a man who looked more royal. I said to King Priam, The hero whom you look upon is the leader of the hosts of the Greeks. He is the renowned King Agamemnon. He looks like a king, said Priam. Tell me now who the other warrior is, who is shorter by a head than King Agamemnon, but who is broader of chest than shoulders. He is Odysseus, I said, who was reared in rugged Ithaca, but who was wise above all the kings. And an old man, Antenor, who was by us, said, That is indeed Odysseus. I remember that he and Menelaus came on an embassy to the assembly of the Trojans. When they both stood up, Menelaus seemed the greater man, but when they sat down, Odysseus seemed by far the more stately. When they spoke in the assembly, Menelaus was ready and skillful of speech. Odysseus, when he spoke, held his staff stiffly in his hands and fixed his eyes on the ground. We thought by the look of him then that he was a man of no understanding. But when he began to speak, we saw that no one could match Odysseus. His words came like snowflakes in winter, and his voice was very resonant. And Priam said, Who is that huge warrior? I think he is taller and broader than any of the rest. He is great Aias, I said, who is as a bulwark for the Greeks. 
and beside him stands Eudemeneus, who has come from the island of Crete. Around him stand the Cretan captains. So I spoke, but my heart was searching for a sight of my own two brothers. I did not see them in any of the companies. Had they come with the host, I wondered, and were they ashamed to be seen with the warriors on account of my wrongdoing? I wondered as I looked for them. I did not know that even then my two dear brothers were dead and that the earth of their own dear land held them. Hector came to the gate and the wives and daughters of the Trojans came running to him, asking for news of their husbands or sons or brothers, whether they were killed or whether they were coming back from the battle. He spoke to them all and went to his own house, but Andromache, his wife, was not there. And the house dame told him that she had gone to the great tower by the wall of the city to watch the battle, and that the nurse had gone with her, bringing their infant child. So Hector went down the street and came to the gate where we were, and Andromache, his wife, came to meet him. With her was the nurse, who carried the little child that the folk of the city named Astuanax, calling him king of the city because his father was their city's protector. Hector stretched out his arms to the little boy whom the nurse carried, but the child shrank away from him because he was frightened of the great helmet on his father's head with its horsehair crest. Then Hector laughed, and Andromache laughed with him, and Hector took off his great helmet and laid it on the ground. Then he took up his little son and dandled him in his arms and prayed, O Zeus, greatest of the gods, grant that this son of mine may become valiant, and that like me he may be protector of the city, and thereafter a great king, so that men may say of him as he returns from battle, far greater is he than was Hector his father. Saying this, he left the child back in his nurse's arms, and to Andromache his wife, who that day was very fearful, he said, Dear one, do not be so over sorrowful. You urge me not to go every day into the battle, but some days to stay behind the walls. But my own spirit forbids me to stay away from the battle, for always I have taught myself to be valiant and to fight in the forefront. So he said, and he put on his helmet again and went to order his men. And his wife went toward the house, looking back at him often and letting her tears fall down. Thou knowest from Menelaus's story what triumphs Hector had thereafter, how he drove the Greeks back to their ships and affrighted them with his thousand watchfires upon the plain, how he drove back the host that Agamemnon led when Diomedes and Odysseus and Macau and the healer were wounded, how he broke through the wall that the Greeks had built and brought fire to their ships, and how he slew Patroclus in the armor of Achilles. Mm -hmm.